Warren Buffett, the legendary investor. Now his macro analysis leaves quite a bit to be desired. I've talked about that before. His comments about a red hot economy in 2021, all that. But as a stock investor, as an investor in companies, he is probably second to none. He's earned his place in the Hall of Fame. And where it comes to banks, of course, Mr. Buffett has been well known to dabble in those too, especially during times of turmoil and trouble. Who can forget back in 2008 when, uh, during really the worst part of the crisis, Warren Buffett stepped up and invested $5 billion famously into Goldman Sachs. And as some have it, um, there's a documentary out there that suggests that Warren Buffett was instrumental in at least the idea behind what became TARP, if not um, orchestrating the whole process of investing funds into banks using government money, as well as some of his own. So the guy knows a lot about stocks. He knows quite a bit about banks, uh, even going back further than that, to the Solomon Brothers episode in the 1990s. It was Warren Buffett who came riding to the rescue after the scandal in bid rigging for treasuries in the early part of the 1990s. So again, Warren Buffett knows a thing or two about stocks, and he also knows a thing or two about banks. So when he talks about the banking system and what he's doing with banking stocks, it's worth paying attention to. I made some comments a couple days ago that are pretty, pretty startling. What he said was, we're not over bank failures, but depositors haven't had a crisis. Banks go bust, but depositors aren't going to be hurt. And I think he's right about that. This is not really about depositors in the same way 2008 wasn't about depositor, depositors either. And it's not really about banks. But here's what, uh, here's what Mr. Buffett said that kind of got, got my attention. But I did sell banks that we own for 25 or 30 years. I just don't think the system's quite right in terms of connecting punishment to culprits. Now, he's talking a lot about how bank CEOs and bank management teams do a, do a really poor job. And then when they get into trouble, their banks go bust. It's the depositors and shareholders, not depositors, the shareholders, who end up paying the price. He doesn't think that's right, and he thinks the incentives are screwed, but he's selling banks for, that he's owned for 25 or 30 years. He's getting out of the banking sector. Um, we're not over bank failures. We haven't had the crisis to deposit. I mean, he's making comments and actions that suggest, like we already know here that markets are already telling us, this thing is far, far from over. And then he finished. We saw a country, that, a country that was not worried about banks until about Wednesday or Thursday of the week Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. And all of a sudden, everybody was all worried about the banking system all over the country. Again, there's not a lot of faith in the system. What he says is a lot like what Bill Dudley said way back in 2008 about Mar uh, Bear Stearns in March of 2008. Dudley said the system, the, really the public too, saw a troubled but viable firm become non-viable in just three days. And as Warren Buffett said in 2023, nobody was paying attention to the banking system and the public. Everything seemed to be fine. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it wasn't just one failure. We got Silicon Valley Bank. Then there was Signature, something about First Republic. Then a week later, Credit Suisse over in Europe. So people can sense this is there's something else going on here. It has to be. 
because we don't have banks that go from, well, we don't pay attention to anything about banking to suddenly it's all over the news. People understand there must be more to the story. And as Mr. Buffett was telling, saying uh, earlier this week, yeah, there is definitely more to the story. So much more to the story, he's selling banks. Now he didn't tell us which banks he was selling, but the fact that he was selling banks that he, bank stocks that he had owned for a long time tells you quite a bit too. So we've got, we've got Mr. Buffett's warnings. We've got more collateral data to go over. We've got, we've got to look at what's going on in the banking system this far into April. And then we've got maybe the possibility of fallout in the real economy in the month of March. We've got data on retail sales and industrial production. There's a lot happening today, but first, I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, as always, Eurodollar University memberships are available at the Eurodollar University website, which is conveniently located on the internet at eurodollar.university. Memberships, we get into the details behind not just banks, but money itself, just uh, progressing in our basic series to go through the background about what is money? How does it work? What is the price of money? That kind of thing. We also have research subscriptions available. One that's a partnership with marketsinsiderpro.com. That's Stephen Van Meter, Tracy Schuchart, myself. Get a research bundle there. And I also do a daily deep dive analysis. That's at the Eurodollar University website, which is a deep dive into all of these things, money, curves, credit, markets, economy, macro and money, all of that stuff. The information available for you at eurodollar.university. I think what Mr. Buffett said about how people weren't paying any attention to banks and then suddenly they were really should resonate because again, that it's an indication that, wait a minute, the banks don't just suddenly fail out of nowhere. There's more to the story here. And even in, even in some ways, Mr. Buffett is trying to sell it as, okay, these are bad bank managers. That's certainly the way, as I discussed last week, that the Federal Reserve would like everybody to consider Silicon Valley Bank as a bunch of bad people who didn't understand banking, who made a lot of individual mistakes and they're not going to be repeated. But that's where Buffett and the Federal Reserve officials seem to disagree. Where I disagree with all of them, or I think they go a step further, and I think uh, you're, you're tuning into this channel for these reasons, is that there are systemic, systemic issues that go beyond individual, bankings, uh, individual bank names just as there were in 2008. It wasn't about Bear Stearns. It wasn't really about Lehman Brothers or AIG, but how the systemic failure of the system behind them, the monetary system, the tide of money going out, revealed problems in these institutions. I think that's where Warren Buffett is starting to get his senses up, his defensive um, instincts to get out of the banking sector, at least certain banks, before there is much heavier fallout. Again, as he says, it's not going to fall on depositors, but it will fall on shareholders. And ultimately, and this is the point, it'll be pro-cyclical. Pro-cyclical in the financial economy, pro-cyclical in the real economy. Because as banks act on the lessons of Bear Stearns, they build up cash cushions, they build up collateral cushions, they de-risk their portfolios, they hedge the hell out of everything they've got left in their asset, in, in their asset side of their, their balance sheet, they're not doing things in the financial system or the real economy that we need for the economy and the markets to work the way we want them to. In fact, this is one of the things the Federal Reserve, as I talked about yesterday, 
mentioned in their meeting minutes, the 2008 style scenario, that when you do have a financial crisis and a bad economy, it ends up making the economy much, much worse, as well as the banking system. So now you've got Buffett, you've got the FOMC, you've got various mainstream media outlets finally starting to talk in rational terms about the serious risks to everything, economy, finance, and, well, money. We'll do the money talking. As far as the banks go, as far as the monetary system go, uh, we look at the Fed's data. Primary credit was $67.6 billion this week. That's the Wednesday level. It was only down a tiny bit from last week, which was 69.7. So largely the same two weeks in a row. It's tough to make too much out of that because primary credit since the change in March of 2020 could be for terms up to 90 days. So that might be some banks who took out 90 day loans last month. They're still just going to roll with it. There's no prepayment penalty, so they can wind down at any time. And they can also roll over if they if they're making shorter term uh, if they're getting shorter-term borrowings from the Fed through primary credit, they can continue to roll those over time and time again, too. But $67.6 billion, that's still a lot. Again, more than a month past Silicon Valley Bank and coming up on a month to Credit Suisse. We don't want to make too much of that, but there's something, you know, that if everything was gone, had gone right back to normal, we would expect that to be much closer to zero. And it may go back down closer to zero anyway because that's you know that's what happens during these crisis period the ebbs and the flows but the the longer it takes for those ebbs in emergency funding the more the lessons of bear stearns the more you know the lessons of bear stearns are being acted upon um the h8 data which is the stuff the commercial bank balance sheet assets and liability that doesn't come out until 4 15 p.m but i'm sure there'll be something to talk about that Next week, so we'll look at the H8 data. Yesterday, we got the we got the balances on repo fails for the week last week, uh, not this week, last week. Still over 300 billion. It was down a touch from the week before, but 300 billion isn't nearly as much as it was during the fireworks last year, the collateral squeeze in September and October. But 300 billion is a lot of repo fails, and as I talked about yesterday huge, huge demand for especially four-week treasury bills. As usual, collateral runs, stuff going on in the swap market. It tells you that beneath all of these, all of the, the, the focus and concentration on individual banks, there still continues to be uncertainty. There still continues to be shortages of collateral. There's still bad money in the system. Again, more than a month later, we also saw that in the Fed's securities lending program, the Wednesday level there, which was $47 billion. So that's still in the upper bound range, consistent with last fall, consistent with last month, which like T-bill prices, like repo fails, and some of the other data that we're getting suggests that while the, the intensity and urgency of the monetary crisis last month has ebbed a little bit, it really hasn't changed all that much. It was securities lending and repo fails with bond prices being up as much as they are. We also know that there's not going to be a lot of short sellers and repo fails. This is purely about collateral. Again, the four-week bill auction yesterday was just absolutely amazing. When the high rate is low as it was, the, forget the low rate of the media, the, high, the entire auction, 77 basis points less than the RRP, the current RRP. 
So as far as the banking system goes, as far as the monetary system goes, not really the banking system, we're still seeing these big problems, which again, as I've said many times, is that's what happened after Bear Stearns too. You saw these continuous, continuous demand for collateral, continuous shortfall in collateral, as well as some of these other signals that suggested the lots of uncertainty, more than anything, fragility. Maybe that's what Mr. Buffett was getting at, that the, that the system, the banking system that he sees, lots of mistakes left to be uncovered and the potential for them to be uncovered as the monetary tide continues to recede. So as we have bad money, that leads to bad prob problems in banks. The banks act the lessons of Bear Stearns, and then we get the massive fallout from it. Fallout, as I said, in the financial economy, fallout in the monetary system, but also macroeconomic fallout too, because we know it's gonna be there. I mean, the Federal Reserve, even the Federal Reserve understands now that after what happened in March, we're going to have a recession. They resisted that idea for a very long time, really from the very beginning of curve inversions last year. They said, no, everything's fine. We're just slowing down, no big deal. Suddenly stuff happens in March and banks around the world, not just in the US, and now they're, yes, a mild recession is suddenly the FOMC's base case. So again, the, as I mentioned yesterday, the Fed is moving closer and closer to where the markets are, and where the markets are is not mild recession. So if we're gonna get fallout from last month, the lessons of Bear Stearns, the procyclicality of that, are we seeing that already? And the data we got today on US retail sales suggests maybe. I mean, there's, there's we're never gonna get any conclusive scent, sense in, in any high frequency data for one month, but we already knew the US economy was in relatively rough shape heading into this year anyway, heading into March especially. But the uh, retail sales numbers, this month or that were just released today for last month there's more than a hint there that maybe just maybe consumers are already pulling back in spending whether that's related to credit we'll have to wait for that data to come out to really see for sure but headline retail sales according to the census bureau down one percent in march and that's nominal that's not real that's that's in nominal terms um Seasonally just that's the second straight month in a row after, remember, January's big jump, big rebound in um, maybe seasonal statistics or seasonal factors. But big jump in January, that's now being unwinding. That's one unwinding and being unwound, which is leaving the retail sales number in March, basically the same nominal level as it had been in October. So that's, you know, we're talking about five months with not really much nominal increase in spending. That's gonna to lead to lots of trouble, especially since we have such a huge inventory imbalance. And here's the thing, just like I point out with Europe and Germany and, and retail sales around the world, if we compare nominal retail sales to last March, so one year ago, year over year, retail sales were up 3.2%. Now that's not a good number. 3.2% for any retail sales, nominally speaking, that's more in closer to recession ter ter territory than not. Even though retail sales, historically speaking, remain elevated, they're still in the supply shock. What, there's, what that's saying is that retail sales are starting to roll over and head into a direction that would be consistent with at least a mild recession. If not, with a little bit of a boost and fallout from SVB, something more than a mild recession. But as consumers in the US pay 3.2% more for goods, 
uh, nominally speaking, over the last 12 months. In real terms, retail sales were 1.7% less year over year. So we paid 3.2% more to get 1.7% less. Yeah, that's going to be a huge problem. Real retail sales, which are adjusted for the CPI, and of course the CPI didn't move much in March, disinflation. So real retail, real, real retail sales, say that five times fast, were down 1.04% month over month, a little, only a little bit more than the nominal level. Uh, going back to um, going back to February, they were down 0.6%, so a little bit more than the nominal stuff. So that's two months in a row of pretty sizable monthly declines in real retail sales. Ex-gasoline, gasoline sales are going down. But even ex-gasoline, we make the annual comparison this March compared to last March. 5.2% increase nominal, minus 0.04% in real terms, so paying more to get less. That's not a recipe for anything but economic trouble. And now the Fed is saying with SVB, now Warren Buffett is saying there's gonna be more than SVB, the likelihood of, even if we're not seeing the fallout from March bank, the March banking event in the March retail sales number, I kind of think we are, we're still gonna get more of it in the months ahead. Industrial production, industrial production, well, that increased 0.4%, third straight monthly increase, but that was largely because cold weather spiked utility usage. Utility usage, that surged by 8.4% month over month. Without that, industrial production would have been negative, like it was in manufacturing production. Manufacturing production was down 0.5% month over month and is negative, minus 0.9% year over year. Industrial headline industrial production with the utility increase was still positive year over year, 0.5%. And that's noteworthy because usually in almost every case going back more than a century of this data, when you get a year over year negative in headline industrial production, there's a recession almost certainly following it. The one exception was 2015 and 16, where the U.S. narrowly avoided a recession. In many ways, it was kind of in one. But either way, Industrial production is weak, just like retail spending, just like inventories, and is likely to suffer from macroeconomic fallout because it's already in this pre-recession, if not recession position to begin with. So we've got bad money, which again, repo, collateral, prime, front and center with all of that. We've got Warren Buffett telling us he doesn't want to be around the banking sector because when you have bad money, it's going to be trouble for banks. That leads to a credit crunch, pro-cyclicality, the lessons of Bear Stearns, therefore trouble in financial markets as well as the real economy. And then we're going to see the economic effects as the fallout from that pro-cyclicality, lessons of Bear Stearns, bad money, bad banking, eventually hits the economy if it hasn't already. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you, Eurodollar University members and our research subscribers, both Eurodollar University and Markets Insider Pro. Until next time, take care.